Welcome to the Boulder Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Davis. This episode is part of our 2020 Boulder Startup Week series. Because of the coronavirus, this year's Startup Week took place virtually. We miss seeing everyone in person, but applaud the tremendous effort undertaken, mostly by volunteers, to put on the event. For more information, visit boulderstartupweek.com. We've got another podcast takeover in this edition, with the Boulder Tech Podcast combining forces once again with Impact Founder, a media company debunking the myth that entrepreneurship is sexy or easy. They tell the real stories of entrepreneurs so you don't feel alone in your experience as a founder. For Boulder Startup Week 2020, Impact Founders founder, Kristen Darga, speaks with founders who pivoted or launched during the COVID-19 shutdown. In this episode, she speaks with two people who decided to change course so that their business could better serve their community during this critical time. First, Kristen speaks with Claudio Garcia, founder at Ohia Networks. As a customer-centric communications tool along the lines of Zoom and Slack, Ohia Networks has been experiencing explosive growth during the coronavirus pandemic. Claudio speaks with Kristen about the recent challenges Ohia Networks has faced and the success they're enjoying. Here's Kristen's conversation with Ohia Networks' Claudio Garcia as Impact Founder takes over the Boulder Tech Podcast. Before COVID, there was a lot of uncertainty, and now with high demand, we're prepared for the fast growth that we need. My name is Claudio Garcia. I'm uh, the founder and owner of Ohia Networks. We are a UCAS company, which is pretty much your business communication tools. Very similar to the Zoom, Slack, RingCentral, all that in one easy to use platform. So that's what we do. So before we kind of get into everything that you've done now during COVID, I want to ask you just to get a little bit more information on who you are and and your background. Why did you become an entrepreneur? So naturally it was... uh, what started in 2015, I was always like into sales. I started in telecom. It's my background. And really, as you start to progress and you scale up your income, you start to realize there's more meat on the bone if you own the company versus, you know, selling. And I just always had a passion for opportunity. And when I started to learn how everything uh, operates on the back end and the front end, um, I had it built in me that I wanted to start my own communication company. So that was the inspiration that I had. There was a couple instances that really sparked it, but I guess my linear equation was leaning towards entrepreneurship. I had two other companies prior to this. Uh, One's still doing great. The other one, I don't know, like we just had a couple of bad falling outs, but the third time is the charm (laughs) Uh, for to say the least. Yep. Have you always been entrepreneurial? Did it start at a young age or something that developed later in life? No, I've always been like a hustler, right? I've always wanted to um, always make money somehow, some way, whether that was doing computer work or, uh, you know, helping around the house. There's always something where I always wanted to generate revenue, right? And it's just been an addiction of mine to always like try to ethnically in the best way I can, you know, create some uh, revenue, whether that was like selling whatever I could get my hands on, right? So yeah, so I think really good sales reps make really good leaders. For the most part, right? Not all the time, but like, you know, the Steve Jobs, he was a salesman, right? So that's what uh, 
that's what you do at the heart, right? So, but yeah, that's, yes, to answer your question, yeah. It's an interesting time right now. The economy is doing what the economy is doing up and down and all over. Um, you know, we're dealing with illness and all these different things that have people kind of frozen. They don't right. know what to do. Uh, maybe they're living in fear. Tell me right now what the challenge that you're experiencing is. Probably just that. But from not our perspective on this side, it's more or less when we're dealing with prospects that are afraid to take the leap of faith, if you would, and jump into uh, become innovative, right? A lot of prospects, because we only do B2B, we don't do B2C. So the other C-levels and CEOs that we deal with, we, we're noticing a trend of they're noticing they have to get off the legacy systems. They have to trust somebody. You know, I'm young and we have a very polished record, but it's one of those things where it's a little, they need like that little extra pushover, but it's preventing them. But now they really, you know, dealing with fear is one thing, but this type of fear that we're dealing with though is one that's not ever going to go away. It's actually evolving into something else. So when you talk about fear and what I'm seeing in the owners, are they going to be open in a few months? They don't know, or they're not, you know, certain. It seems like the fear that they have though was the shock, right? They were shocked, now it's settling in, and now it's time to game plan for the win. And the companies that are going to make it are the ones that are going to be innovative and think this through, but jump into action. And that's one thing that we have done is we've jumped right in there and we're trying to help businesses out as best we can in whatever shape and form that looks like. Even just giving, we've even given away free guidance to, to some of them, even if they don't buy our products to C-levels. But it's that right there, the, the fear that you're talking about, like I said, it, it seems like it's in phases and it's getting a little, it's, it's turning into now we have to do something, right? Because before it was hurry up and get the employees out the door, get them safe, we'll email you, right? And then kind of go from there and then they do that. And then, hey, how do we communicate with each other and access files? And it was a lot of that going on for like the first 60 days. But now they're coming back and they're like, hey, we need to now plan forever. So this COVID thing really pushed a lot of them over the edge to make change or the change is going to make them, right? And so how do you typically overcome their fears? By reassuring them that it's okay, right? But what's not okay is, and this is, these are those candid conversations I have with DC levels that it's not okay to spread the fear apart of your company if you're doing something about it and you're putting your team in the right position to, to win, even if you fail and you did everything you could, that's a win in itself, right? The worst thing that can happen is, is, is nothing. Don't do nothing, then you know, you're just gonna bleed out. So having them say, hey, dive into the action, you'll appreciate it later. Because there's, what's the consequence? You got a business, just jump right in. It's, it's like a, nothing to lose at this point, you know? So that's kind of what I talk to them and coach them up on. And they, they, they see it. And again, it's like what I also say is look at your nearest competition, your competitor. What are they doing? You don't think he's in fear, but usually the ones, like I said, that make it are the ones that are, are looking for opportunity in a pessimistic mindset society, right? They're going to look like and might be doing things differently. We talked a little bit about how these are different times. Um, 
what, what you're experiencing is different than what a lot of people are talking about. I think there's a lot of industries that are booming right now, right? But we're constantly bombarded with the unemployment, the layoffs, the businesses that are failing, the business that are going under and help the small business. And not that I'm opposed to that. I'm very much for small business and helping right. small businesses. Yeah, Some of them too. are unable to really thrive right now because their industry is completely shut down. With For you, that's the opposite, Right. Tell us a little bit about what happened for you. Would you call this a success? Well, when we first were projecting out the year, you know, I was looking at probably maybe hitting over 250K in gross or to 500K, right? Like from the high end. This pushed us over both numbers. And it was like one of those things where for us to experience it, it was, it was in a wave. And I mean, it comes in waves, it seems like. But the demand went through the roof, both with existing customers but also with um, new and the more that we installed and the more the customers we set up, it seemed like they were spreading the word faster than I could even branding them with the marketing. Right. So for us, it was actually trying to keep ahead of, you know, the expectations and make sure we don't compromise things and don't turn into a transactional type of company. Cause that's, that's how you get high retention is when you turn into a transactional type of company, when you're selling B2B, right. B2C is a little different. But the adjustment was, uh, there really wasn't one. It was like we were kind of prepared for the future in itself. But really, once everything got closed in Colorado, in the Denver area, that's when the, you know, the request went through. There were five net people at a call center in uh, New Jersey call, 500 employees, and they were in a friend. And they needed to move out, like, the next day. So I was like, wow. So being prepared for things like that. And, yeah, that's great for me, but it was like, they almost were just trusting word of mouth as best they could, right? But it all worked out for the better. But it was kind of those last minute phone calls that really uh, emails and requests that uh, we were prepared for as a company. And uh, we actually were able to capitalize on it in an effective manner, freed up, and then now we're going to be hiring some more. So it's, it's good stuff. For a lot of companies, that would actually be a challenge. That would be something that could potentially uh, completely crash their system. Um, How did you prepare for that? So the platform that we have, it really is built and user-friendly and it's very easy to deploy. So being able to show them, hey, at the click of a button, you know, with less than eight hours of a turnaround time, we can have you operational. So being prepared for that was like, we were always like preparing for something of this magnitude of growth. It just was one of those things, once everything shut down, it really pushed over the edge. So the preparation was already been done on the back end. So before I even opened my doors, what happens when your customer says yes? A lot of CEOs can't even describe that process. Like what happens when they say yes? And we had that fluidly written out and we follow the process. That way, everything seems smooth for the client. So actually the volume, I was a little scared so because we were putting different install dates of like, we have deadlines to hit, but it actually ended up uh, because of the process was smooth and the signups were easy. It was actually um, not as bad as you would think, but it was also a good experience for all the customers as well. So it was really all about that at the end of the day is the end user experience. Yeah. I find that really interesting. I keep thinking about what it takes to actually have that set up for growth. And I think your statement in the beginning talks a little bit about that. You talk about how, before COVID, you had uncertainty, which is the opposite of most people. Most people 
before they had what they would call certainty, things were working out in the way that they knew they would. It was uncertain then. And did you take time to set up the foundation for growth? Were you prepared for any sort of surge like this? Yeah, from the jump, that's exactly what I built the model off of was rapid growth from sales to install, you, you name it. There's not one aspect of the business I don't have covered. But I really walked through it really hardcore in November, right? November, December. And then I had a couple really close friends in the industry that are CEOs of other big calcos look it over. And then we came to the conclusion that this was a, a solid plan, that this would work. The problem was it would work if, if you had rapid growth. So I was betting I was going to make it, right? Like that was the whole, it was like I burned the boats and liquidated all my resources, made sure that this thing was, was built soup to nuts for, for survival. And when January hit, mid-January, we started to really turn the wheels. Things were moving. And then the COVID thing really kind of threw me off because I was like, wow, this is really bad. I didn't really think it would impact this industry so, so much. But it did. And it was like a delay. Like once the COVID thing hit, I think January, February, it was about March where the, the March picked up like huge. I mean, there wasn't a, a non-busy day, right? In March, I'm talking Monday to Sunday. And that was the process we had in the overstaffing I had at the time. And, you know, it seemed overstaffing. Like it was not, you know, my CFO was like, yeah, this is not going to, you know, but it justified it because I was prepared for it. But uh, yes, that was very thought of, thought through. I was banking on myself and my hustle and the sales strategy we had. And I would say that if this COVID thing didn't happen, we would have still ended up all right. But this put the framework to the test, if you would. I can't even imagine what that would be like. I mean, I have some ideas. <laughs> That's what everyone dreams of. But to have it happen and have it happen during a time when everyone's experiencing the opposite would probably right. be a little unsettling. Yeah, it's kind of like one of those brags you don't want to talk about, right? It's like not happy to talk about this because of everybody else's situation. So I try to be as humble as we can. And one of the things um, that I was going to tell you too is helping out school districts, right? And our platform is really teacher-friendly for teachers to set up their own classrooms and have 30 students and, and everybody can communicate seamlessly as far as that goes. So that was probably the single foremost deal that meant the most out of all this was that because now that all the tools and they, they love it, it's, it, it's really something else for teachers for sure. And so that wasn't something you did before. That would be a pivot if you would. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. So that was like, we weren't targeting schools at all. Right. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, this is really good for them. And if they could use it. So it was like a no brainer, you know, you don't have to have all these zoom meetings and, and Google hangouts and, and all that jazz. You actually got one interface platform and it's very easy to use. The simplicity part of it is what really makes it all the work well. Based upon what you've experienced in the past couple of months, what yeah. would your advice be to other founders? A couple of things that I could think of off the bat. One is don't be afraid to take deep breaths and see it for what it is, right? But also ask for help from uncommon places. And what I mean by that is whatever your industry is, you wouldn't go to your competition leader and ask what they're doing, but you should. 
what tends to happen is we're, we're too much of this me, 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 where now this is a we if we're going to make it, because if you don't communicate with them, you might not have a market to share, right? So eyeball them, do everything you can to try to find out as much as you can. I think right now with the downtime that some of these CEOs have is the uptime to go after some things that can actually help improve your business. And you might shift and make a pivot. Like you might be selling one thing one day and another thing the next because you're matching the market, but you're keeping everyone employed. And I would say that, and then to let your staff know that you have their back and that you're there for them, but also bring them to the forefront of the table with ideas and pitches and things like that. But I think the, the biggest thing that I'm saying is there's letting fear run their business and dictate it. When really, when you think about it, there's nothing to lose at this moment. I mean, the worst thing that can happen is you, is you close your business. The best thing that can happen is you, you're thriving and you can change. And now is, like I said, the downtime, it should be your uptime. It's just a matter of getting to a solution because I think every business has a chance to make it if they really are gung-ho about it and don't let the best of what's taking place get to them. The thing is, it's all perception, right? So what they viewed as success before COVID-19 versus success after COVID-19 is really yet to be determined and it's okay to not know. But what's not okay is no action. That's not okay. So I would say ask for help from uncommon places that you normally would. And then it's okay to be afraid, but it's not okay to you know stop action and to just become innovative as best you can. You don't need to be a genius. You don't need to be Elon Musk or, or the guy that makes the technology. You just need to have the right people in the right places, the right tools, and everything's out there for you to succeed. That's where my two cents is what I would share with everybody. To end things, Tell us about the best advice you have received that also played a part in the last couple of months for your company. To focus on the one thing that's in front of you that you can execute well at. And what I mean by that was when we're talking about the volume, your mind gets spinning as an owner to make sure everything gets done from all sorts of different deals. And a partner of mine was like, let's just focus on this one. And if we focus on this one and we execute it, then we can work on the next one because you want to get to the last one and get everything through the door. So your mind is, you know, so that was the best piece of advice I got was to just focus on the one thing you can control that's in front of you and just execute it very well in very small steps. And actually that's, you know, go slow to go fast is a really big thing, right? So that would be the best piece of advice that I can give us that one. That's really great. I was smiling because one of my absolute favorite quotes is all there is to do is what there is to do right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know it sounds all nonchalant, right? But it's really bad if you can find the value in there and just do that and then don't worry about anything else. And what a really great piece of advice right now, while everyone feels like, the world and everything is spinning out of their control. If you just focus on what's right ahead of you in this moment and then focus on what's right ahead of you in this moment and then this moment, and that's all there is to do, then you'll able to kind of have a little bit more peace and focus. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I love that you took time out to participate and be a part of the podcast. How can people get in touch with you? Thank you. Visit us at uh, www.ohianetworks.com, which you'll drop in the bio, I'd imagine. 
or they could email me, Claudio at ohianetworks.com. Especially if there's any other C-levels that want to just need a soundboard or whatever, I'm around. So Awesome. Thank you, Claudio. Keep on rocking. Thank you. That was Impact Founders Kristen Darga speaking with Claudio Garcia, founder of Ohia Networks. Learn more at ohianetworks.com. That's O-H-I-Y-A Networks. Next up, Kristen talks to E. Sean, founder of Inter Meditation, an online meditation and support community. With people suddenly discovering they have more time on their hands, it's no surprise that interest in meditation is spiking. Inner Meditation is enjoying rapid growth, with 100% of participants saying they'd recommend the site to their friends. Learn how E's idea came about and how Inner Meditation can improve your business and life. Here's Kristen and E. Our participants love us, and I'm struggling to grow the user base fast. My name's E. I live in Boulder, Colorado. My business is called Inner Meditation. It's an online-based meditation and community-based connection. My title is the founder and lifelong meditator. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Thank you so much for being here. One of the things that I love the most is learning how people got to the point where they decided to become an entrepreneur. So what did that look like for you in your life? Why did you choose entrepreneurship? I grew up as an empath, so I feel the world and the pain greatly, and I grew up in Inner Mongolia, so I witnessed a lot of poverty and struggling of life, and so as a kid, I just felt this powerless need in me to kind of make a change and make a difference, and once I got into college, um, I thought, hey, if I have a lot of money, that will be the answer. So my first year, I took a road trip to Tibet, and I took my scholarship money, and I started donating, uh, got a bunch of school supplies, and then tried to give it to the local kids. It did not work. It was terrible because I realized so many kids drop out of school to take free stuff from travelers. And that's the first time I realized having money isn't enough, or having the stuff is not enough. So I started trying to search for a better answer. And that's when I started to come across the term of social entrepreneurship and the idea of entrepreneurs and creating value that ultimately provides self-sufficiency for people to make change in their own life and not as a savior saying, I know what to do, here's a bunch of money, good luck. And so that's how I got started. And I started uh, looking to startups and start talking to founders and see how I can learn to go on this route. That was a really beautiful answer. I just want to know about what it was like growing up in Mongolia and then making the change to being in the United States. How did that happen for you? Uh, so yeah, I grew up in Inner Mongolia, which is a province to the uh, middle north of China. And when I was about 12, my whole family moved to Shenzhen, which is all the way to the southeast part of China, a huge metropolitan, which is very, very different. I think um, then I was kind of grew up and trained learning that the customs, the language, and the things that I usually take for granted for people are not necessarily the same everywhere. And then start, I got really curious about the cultures and people, how people live and how people behave in different areas. So I traveled a lot 
I was also very fortunate when I was in middle school, I got an opportunity to visit the UK. And then and also totally opened my mind and realized, oh, wow, okay. So here people actually waited for the traffic lights to change before they crossed the, like, cross the street. Something so simple but profound that I realized, oh, people actually can stand in line when they're waiting to pay for the cashier. But back then, how I was growing up, that was just mind-blowing, even though it was really simple. So I always have the ambition to say, hey, I want to go somewhere else to see the, out the bigger world. This is beyond just the country I grew up in, China. So when I got into a really good college in China, then I realized it was not challenging enough. So I started studying for the test and then apply for colleges. And that's how um, I first started my route to the U.S. Oh, wow. I always feel like travel and living in different countries can completely change the way that we see ourselves. Yeah, 100%. Um, how old were you when you left your hometown? I was 12. And I moved to the U.S. when I was 19. You know, I think about the times where I had an opportunity to live in a different country and that completely shaped who I was, learning language that's different than my own. It's, an, what, it's what entrepreneurs would call a value add. All the best words. This is what you would call experience. <laughs> I think that's so great. Um, what an interesting story. So one of the things that we like to talk about, Impact Founder, our, our whole purpose is to bring to light the challenges people experience so that we, by, by talking about them and listening to other stories about how they overcome them, that we can learn. So what's a challenge you've experienced as a founder? I think the current challenge I'm experiencing is that for our uh, meditation communities is that our participants love us. For the 100 people that participate in our meditation, experience give us a hundred percent approval rating and I want to recommend all their friends and I am struggling to grow the user base fast enough to kind of make it sustainable at the moment. Is there something that you're learning about that that or like any of the struggles that you've had to overcome? Have we looked at any other models out there that have grown their user base fast? Is it something that you're currently applying different techniques to solve? Yeah, great question. So for us, it's initially go really fast. It was something exciting. And so far, all the growth of the hundreds of users we have is all through word of mouth. Just because I have other businesses going on, I have my coaching business for leaders that's also making an impact. So part of my mission is to balance my priorities so that I am giving enough efforts and attention to the leaders who needs coaching, who needs my expertise. And at the same time, kind of devoting the rest of my attention to grow the user base here. So we've encouraged a lot of our members to kind of share with their friends. I'm learning a big lesson because um, we started the business in March, so it's only been two months. Um, part of it um, is that all my past entrepreneurial experiences in the business to business field. So I'm gradually learning the business to consumers is totally different. The marketing needs a lot more saturation and needs more repetition to build a brand, to build a name before that starts spreading really quickly. 
And unlike business, it's like, hey, you find a key decision maker and then the deal is done. Where here it's so different that it, we, we need to reach one um, participants and one clients and one customers at a time. So I'm still learning and exploring and it's just really fascinating to kind of go through this struggle and the unknown of like, hey, where is it going to be in two months? I have no idea. How can I maximize my impact so um, this can reach more people? Yeah, we really jumped in and started with the challenge. One of the reasons why I decided to interview you was because of why you started your company in the first place. So you're, you're newer, you're, you're just post-launch and Impact Founder, we interview people at every stage of business. But what really stood out to me was the need that you saw based upon the response that we have to COVID, whether it's emotional, physical, societal, all of those obviously at the same time. Building your company out of something like this was what really struck me. Can you tell me a little bit more about why you chose to start your company right now? A hundred percent. So personally, I have been meditating since I was six years old. I read it on a newspaper that if you try not to think about anything, you will increase your focus. I thought, okay, I will give it a try. And then I realized it was impossible to not think of anything as a six-year-old unless I really focus on my breath. And little did I know that was called meditation. Uh, until I moved to New York City and started training for Vipassana meditation and started learning about Tibetan meditation, and I realized, oh, I've been meditating since I was six. Wow. And the whole practice really changed my life completely. It's like giving my mind a constant workout. And then, as you know, like our mind is all we really have as an interface with the rest of the world. And so it's always my dream to say, hey, how can I share this with more people? And when COVID hit, it was just see people really get stuck at home and going through a lot of struggle. And so a friend suggested, hey, what about online meditation? Are you interested in reading one? I thought, oh, instead of just reading one, I have 10 people sign up and doing through once, can I build a more sustainable model to benefit more people? And at the same time, I keep hearing stories of people really going through a sense of isolation, especially those that live alone or live with a limited amount of people that it's hard to reach out and hard to connect with others. And so that's why we started um, with online meditation, followed up with optional authentic connection events. So for people to really choose them and then as what they're going through, their emotional up and down during COVID, and at the same time, connect them with a loving community of support. I really love how we started with you talking about your empathic nature. And, and, and part of you know, your choice to build this company has to do with the fact that you really identified with those who, those, all of us who are experiencing one part of isolation or separation or stress I mean, all of those things are the collective experience right now, if you will. And I I love to see how that's tying into the inspiration for you to build a product and build a service. So um, this may be something that happened prior to now, but um, one of the things that I really am curious about is success 
and the successes that you've had so far even building in such a short time. What would you see that being at this point? What have you measured as a success for yourself? What have you been like, wow, this is incredible. I can't believe I'm doing this. Or you felt proud during that moment. I think when I first started the business, I had zero expectation. Or rather, my expectation was I started leading these sessions the first week and start offering as our initial product. And my goal was, hey, if I could get one person to participate, then I'm happy. And then in the first week, we had about like almost 20 people showing up. And then so I was like, oh, okay, now I can raise the bar is that, okay, if I have one person to return this, and then more than half of the people keep coming back. And they really, really love it. And so I started changing. But I constantly, the perfectionist part of me wanted to say, hey, I want to see this overnight grow and start going viral and doing all that. And then just always coming back to why am I creating this? I'm creating this because I want to create some kind of level of support for people who need it. And I'm not creating this so I can become a billionaire tomorrow. And so I constantly remind myself to kind of get rooted in, hey, if one person is benefiting from this, I'm succeeding. And then from there, it's like, how can I benefit more people? But it's always rooted saying, how can I add value right now? Rather than, hey, I'm going to build this fancy dream and title and all of that. Yeah, absolutely. The altruistic sort of foundational approach to entrepreneurship. So when you build something that matters to people, and you make a difference, when you're faced with challenges that do come your way, it makes it easier to keep going because you're making a difference, because you're changing the life for the lives of others. Since 2015, Growing Impact Founder, knowing what it does is what allows me to continue doing it. And the dollars that come in allow me to continue building that. And I look at them all as the energy that continues to move forward. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. What's the, the most helpful advice you've received? I, when I first started the whole journey of entrepreneurship, like my first company grew to a team of 40 and we have an annual profit of $40 million. And my goal is always grow bigger and sell it and make a bunch of money. And, you know, the overnight internet success that when I first started, yes, quote unquote success that I was looking for. And so a part of me, actually, it took me a long time to get back after seeing that company fail. It took me a long time to get back to this because I felt like, oh, I have to reach to that level of success again or more of that. And what's really being really, really helpful is to remind myself that it's not about that distant future when my company grow crazy or I'm becoming famous or any of that is about, hey, am I having fun right now? Am I enjoying this moment? Can I be at peace with whatever it is? Whether I am having a hard day, I'm really struggling, I feel hopeless, just simply accept that feeling. Simply accept, okay, I'm feeling hopeless right now. I don't know where the future takes me. I don't know what the right decision for my company is going to be. And I don't know if this is going to succeed in the future. And just simply accept that thing. Can I be happy and joyful right now? To me, that has just brought so much meaning 
and presence to my work, um, especially during the hard days that really keep me going and also keep me present so that I don't go burn out and think I had to work 20 hours a day until I kind of crash and burn. Um, yeah, that's staying present and being aware of how you are thinking of your day-to-day and your your purpose. Yeah, you- just really surrender to whatever yeah. that brings. It makes me think of a book, the, the Surrender Experiment, that's come up a lot lately, and I haven't read it. It's on the way. Have you heard of it? No, I have not. It makes me think of it. I can't recommend it, but others recommended it to me. So, you know, if it's something that you're open to, you may not need it as much as I do. Uh, It sounds like you're doing a really great job of that already. Thank you. It's a constant reminder. I'll say out loud and think, okay, totally drop back to what it is. And now the hope that this uh, thing I desire is going to transform my life once I get there. Wow arriving somewhere is arriving where you are already. <laughs> There's nowhere to get. Yes. Right? We're right now. Yes. Right. Really? <laughs> well, to wrap up, uh, I have one more question for you. What advice would you give to other founders? Hmm. Similar to the advice I give to myself and uh, I receive as well, is that apart from keeping your eyes on the goals of the mountains you want to climb is how can you make this very moment enjoyable? It might just be throughout the process, discovering who you really are and discovering what you can really do and transforming yourself to be bigger and greater and more present and more powerful. And also maybe just, you know, if it's a chore, if it's something that's really, really bumming you out, maybe listen to your favorite music while you're doing it. I think that this journey of entrepreneurship is such a roller coaster, it's constant up and down. And that distant goal and future is so far away and it's just a one tiny dot in our whole life. And so when we are doing it, just if you can learn to really enjoy that process and savor that experience, I think that will make the world a lot more enjoyable. Yeah, that's my advice and constantly what I taught myself. <laughs> I love it. I mean, your presence today has been completely, it's been something that when, when, I, when I notice your presence, it snaps me back into being present because I tend to think of the next question or my mind might wander or I'm concerned about the recording or what may be happening behind the scenes, but I really love your presence. It's spectacular. So thank you so, so, so much for coming on today and just sharing your story of um, what inspired you to start a company during one of the most, what people keep saying, uncertain times, (laughs) which there's no certainty. So that's hilarious to me. However, it really is just a different time. And, you know, I, I'm inspired by people who are finding a need to serve right now. So thank you for showing up and doing that and creating the opportunity for others to have that presence and have the ability to slow down in the ways that you learned at a young age. Thank you, Kristen. Thank you so much for the opportunity. This is so exciting. And I love what you do and you inspire me by your devotion to entrepreneurship and to the entrepreneurs who might be struggling, who are just really, um, you're showing that, hey, they're, you're not alone. And I'm so grateful that this is the work that you're doing. Thank you. 
That was Kristen Darga from Impact Founder speaking with Ishan, founder of Intermeditation. Find out more at intermeditation.com. This has been an Impact Founder takeover of the Boulder Tech Podcast, and that was Kristen Darga, founder of Impact Founder, speaking first with Claudio Garcia at Ohia Networks, followed by Ishan at Intermeditation. To listen to more stories, please visit impactfounder.com or find them on iTunes, Stitcher, and most other podcast platforms. Follow on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Impact Founder. The Boulder Tech Podcast is made possible in part by Boulder Startup Week Platinum sponsors Honey, Name.com, and the Downtown Boulder Partnership. We're also supported by Glider, a Colorado-based community movement and nonprofit that produces Boulder's Ignite and TEDx events, as well as Boulder Startup Week. Learn more and consider a donation at Glider.com. Our intro music is by Echo Deck. Hear more at echodeck.com. That's E-C-C-O-D-E-K. Our outro music is by Earthrise Sound System. You'll find them at earthrisesoundsystem.com. The Boulder Tech Podcast is produced by me, Joel Davis. Your feedback, criticisms, comments, and guest suggestions are welcome. Reach me at joel at dojo4.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here for the next episode of the Boulder Tech Podcast.